Okay, with that being said, uh, we are in the, currently in the book of Daniel. We are now on chapter 6. Chapter 6 is a uh, record that probably every child has been known it. Many children's books have been about the, the lion's den. Uh, maybe it's Veggie Tales. May, maybe it's uh, um, cartoons. Maybe it's uh, uh, different things. Um, it's, it's a very well-known story. But what I've been trying to do through this whole series is tra- make this book as relevant as possible to the day we live. And you remember in chapter 1, we titled it Indoctrinating Teens. The way they indoctrinated teens back then was, number one, they separated from parents. Number two, they saturated them with the culture. And number three, they gave peer pressure. Some things aren't new, are they? Chapter two, chapter two was about God's wisdom being so much greater than man's wisdom or the worldly wisdom. Chapter two. Chapter three, we looked at Nebuchadnezzar's early conversion. There was a miraculous event with that fiery furnace. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar started coming around. Like most of us, we usually don't turn like that. It takes a while, and that was the beginning of that process. In chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar's full-blown conversion. God tremendously humbles him. And all of a sudden, at the end of the chapter, he writes a letter to all his subjects throughout the known world. And he says, Jehovah God is the God. Pretty incredible. Chapter 5, we go forward. Nebuchadnezzar's been dead for about two decades. A new generation has come along. His grandson's now in charge. And he never even met Daniel. And his mom says, you know, you're in a fix. There's somebody I want to introduce you to. It's Daniel. This Daniel guy, he was your grandfather's top man. He was the top advisor. He made him in charge of all other advisors. And I find it phenomenal that this young man that is now the king never even met him. So he was introduced to him and he says, are you Daniel who my grandfather used? And then we went from that story. He got to know him, but you know what? It was too late to help him. I hope that's not the case. So now we go into chapter 6, and we're going to read that in a second. But when we read chapter 6, I want you to get from this chapter that integrity is everything. A man's name is more valuable than riches, says Solomon Proverbs. Well, we're going to see how Daniel's integrity absolutely shines forth. Okay, so that's the lesson I would like to learn today. Before we get too far... I want to go and I want to do a little bit of historical setting before we get into chapter 6. As we look at this book of Daniel, basically 1 through 6 is historical and it's written on a time frame like this, but there's a little bit of overlap. And then when you go to chapter 7, it's not the next time and period. Actually, 7 doubles back and 7 through 12 is about dreams, okay? So 1 through 6 is a historical account, and then 7 picks up and is talking about some dreams and some interpretations, and it actually doubles back. So the book of Daniel is not a chronological book. It is for six chapters, but then the next six chapters kind of slide back and then it goes forward. So that's kind of where we're at. But this is the end of this historical account, so I want to do a little refreshing in your memory. And I want to go to Jeremiah, and I want to read just a couple verses. And basically, if you remember, what happened was, is God told Judah 
They said, if you don't straighten up and put away your idols and start worshiping me, I'm going to back away. And when I back away, the enemies are going to come and subdue you. Okay, so let's look at this warning here in Jeremiah 7, 3 through 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. In other words, you know, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to back away. But if you follow me, you can live here, you can live peacefully, and you can prosper. Well, I didn't do it. Okay? So let's jump forward all the way to chapter 29. Now, Jeremiah is writing a letter. Okay, a lot of history has gone by from chapter 7 to chapter 29. And Jeremiah is going to write a letter, and this is what it says. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive. Guess who that is? It's Daniel. Do you understand? Jeremiah is writing a letter and it's being published to the Jewish folks that got captured and got spread about abroad. And he's writing this letter, and that's Daniel. That's the guy we're talking about right now. Now, let's put it in context. Let's keep on going. Now, I'm doing some cherry picking here. I would encourage you to go back and read the whole chapter 29, because I don't want to mislead you by just picking out verses here and there. However, this is a message on Daniel 6, not Jeremiah 29. So I'm going to put that responsibility back on you. Verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, I have caused to <coughs> I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. In other words, they were carried away, and Jeremiah is saying, God did it. God was the cause. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't just something out of my control. He says, I gave you a warning. I says, I need you to follow me. You don't follow me. I'm going to back away. Other people are going to come capture you. They didn't back. They, they didn't follow the Lord. They backed away and other people captured them. And now there's some people, there's a remnant that's been captured, that's been carried away. And he's reminding them, God did this. This was a judgment. Verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye caused to be dreamed. In other words, follow the word of God. Some folks are going to come here, they're going to read other sources, and they're going to give you dreams, they're going to give you a diviner. Basically, Jeremiah is saying, go with this. Go with this, all right? And if someone brings you something other than this, you straighten them out. You call them on it. This is what we go by. Okay? Here's the best verse right here. Verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform the good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. So he's writing, Jeremiah is writing all the people that got captive, which is Daniel. And he's saying, at the end of 70 years, I'm going to bring you all home. So when we go to Daniel 6, guess what? That's pretty close to the end of the 70 years. You got it? This is the time frame. Daniel is getting a letter from Jeremiah. He's been captured. He's been toted away. He says, God did it, but God also promised at 70 years, I'm going to bring you all back home. And now he's in the process, and this is our Daniel. Okay? This is the setting of chapter 6. This is important. And then finally, I got one more verse. I want to do 14. 
He says, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all nations, from all the places that I have driven you. God's saying, I did it. I did it. Your great-grandfathers were very rebellious, and I let them get captured. And now 70 years have gone back, and I'm going to bring you back home. But y'all need to follow me. And if you follow me, I'll be close to you. You'll be close to me. I'll bring you back home, and you'll be blessed. Okay? So let's get into chapter 6. We, we got, is, is, is everybody clear where, where we're at and where Daniel 6 is in the big picture of history? Good. Okay? Let's read the first three verses. <clears throat> okay? Now, in this captivity, the bulk of the 70 years was by Babylon. But if we just read in chapter 5, all of a sudden Babylon has gotten thrown over by Medo-Persia. And now we're at the tail end of the 70 years. And here we are. Okay, Here's Medo-Persia. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Okay, Medo-Persia takes over basically the whole known world, the Middle East, and they set up 120 provinces. Okay, the United States has 50 states, right? Canada has maybe 12, 14 provinces. Well, they set up these different provinces, and there's 120 of them. Now, to me, it's, I, 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 I try to think, without the Internet, how do they communicate with those 120 provinces? By the time a messenger gets there, it could be weeks or months, and by the time the message comes back, it could be some more weeks or months. How do they communicate? It must have been pretty awkward, okay? Verse 2, And over these three presidents, whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the kings should have no damage. So, okay, you got this? The whole known province, Medo-Persia, is set up into 120 states, and each of these states are divided into three districts. So there's four, about 40 states in each district. And each district has someone in charge of them. They're calling it a president. And Daniel is one of the presidents over one of the 40 districts. But you know what? He's the top dog. Okay? He's the big one. So he's actually over all three pres- or the other two presidents and himself. So imagine this. Here comes Darius. He sets up his kingdom, 120 provinces, and he doesn't pick one of his guys. He picks one of the guys that was a politician in Babylon before he ever got there. That is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Usually they go in there and they just kill them all and set up their new shop. That's what our presidents do. They don't kill them, but they get a brand new cabinet, right? They just fire them all. They set up a whole new cabinet. Well, that's usually what happens when a country is taken over. But that's not what Darius does. He keeps Daniel. Why did he keep Daniel? You can never discount integrity. Okay? Verse 3. And this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel had an excellent spirit. As we read the rest of this chapter, we're going to find out what exactly that excellent spirit includes. All I can, I can, all I can say is I wish I had the same excellent spirit as Daniel had. 
I fall far short, but I wish I could. Okay, might be something to strive for. Might something to put forward in front of your children or your grandchildren. This excellent spirit. What is this excellent spirit? Okay. Okay, we good? All right. So let's go forward and let's go. Uh, let's go to chapter uh, six. I'm going to read four through nine. Now, some things never change. Just like today, you may have a politician that's very successful. And the people in the other party or the people that are envious or the people that are jealous, what are they going to start doing? They're going to start throwing the thrones, start throwing the stones, right? Well, that's exactly what happened back then. You got Daniel, this Jewish boy, this people, this person that came from Babylon, and you got these other 120 princes plus the two presidents, and they're looking at this guy and they're reporting to a Jewish boy. Not only are they reporting to a Jewish boy, he's been a slave his whole life, he's a eunuch, He's not even a man's man, right? And I got to report to him? <sighs> okay, and they had enough. So let's read four through nine, politics. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Don't you love this phrase? But they could find no occasion nor fault. Seventy years of public office and they couldn't find a chink in his armor. How many can say that about themselves? Mm-hmm. Integrity can never be discounted. Okay? For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said the, these, these, these men, We shall not find any occasion this da- this, uh, against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. In other words, he says, We've been, we've been studying this guy really hard. We've been looking at his past through a magnifying glass. We want to see the chinks in his armor. They couldn't find anything. And he says, you know what? The only thing we could ever find against this something, if something that comes up that's Persian, Medo-Persian, that's contrary to what his God says, he's going to follow his God. And he says, that's the only way we can get him. Amen? That's the only way we're going to catch him. So you know what? They got to invent something. They got to create a situation where they can catch him in a contradiction between Medo Persia and his God. They're going to fabricate something. Why? Because he's got too much integrity to get him any other way. Verse 6 Then these presidents and princes assembled together the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors, the princes, the counselors, and the captains have consulted together. You know what? That's a lie. You think Daniel was there? No, nope, they weren't all. They were all the jealous princes and kings, right? right, right? The officers. Okay. To establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or any man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now what they're doing is they're tickling the ears of Darius. They're going to tickle his ears. They're they're holding him up. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it not be changed according to the law of the Medo-Persians, which altereth not. Now these particular culture had a, a law that once a law was made, it can't be changed. 
And the, these officers understood that. And they really stressed thing, this alter not. So if they could slip through this deceptive legislation, even though it's called one thing, but it really is getting something else accomplished, they understood that once they passed that law, that the king's hand were tied and he couldn't change it. And they're reminding the king of this. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now the princes are going, oh, we got Daniel now. We got this legislation. Legislation can't be changed. We understand that there's no way in the world that Daniel, this faithful Jehovah's servant of Jehovah God, will stop praying to his God. We're going to get him. So they set the spies out. They got their agents, their investigators. They're watching every move he makes. So let's go on to the next section. I'm going to read 10 through 17 now. I'm still in Daniel 6. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he stopped praying to God. No, that's not what it says, right? Now when he knew the writing was signed, he went up into his house and his windows being open and his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did the four times. That legislation didn't change him one iota. <clears throat> He prayed and gave thanks to God three times a day before the legislation, and he did it afterwards. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Verse 12. Then they came near and spake before the king, concerning the king's decree, hast thou not signed a decree that every man shall ask a petition of God or any man within 30 days, save of thee? O king, shall thou cast me in the, land of, in the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Yeah, the, book, it, the law is on the books and it can't be changed. That's the law. Oh, those, those officers are so happy now. We got them. We got them. Then answered they, said before the king, That Daniel, which is the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. I love verse 14, guys. Look at 14. The king, when he heard this, was sore displeased with himself. Okay? Do you remember what happened back in earlier chapters when Daniel and his friends would not bow down to that great big eight, nine-story statue, golden statue? Nebuchadnezzar got angry. What's Darius doing? He's angry with himself. I let those politicians dupe me. He's mad at himself. How could I have been so foolish? But he's boxed in the corner. We have this law. I got a law. It's a stupid law, but I can't change this stupid law. And I'm stuck. Oh, I'm so mad. I'm so dumb. I got duped. Right? That's what he's thinking. Verse 14, then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He, tr he got all his lawyers. He tried to find all the loopholes. He couldn't find a loophole. These politicians had the rope tied too tight. Okay, verse 15. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, King, O 
know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. We got you, Darius. Guys, this is a perfect case of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. You do not want to surround your people that are just concerned about the letter of the law. Do you understand that? Because they will use, they're pretending to honor the law, but what they're really doing is honoring themselves. And that's what their whole motive was. It wasn't justice. Okay? Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the lion's den. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Do you think he really believed this? Do you think he was wishing? I want to say hope, because Bible hope is actually stronger than faith. So I want to say wishing. Oh, man. And he says it. I'm wondering what his attitude. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Okay? So, so I'm thinking about that, and I'm going, Wow. Darius sounds like he's pretty close to being a convert, isn't he? There's some things he's not quite right, but isn't that the case what it was with Nebuchadnezzar? In chapter 3, he was starting to see some things, and he was starting to figure some things out, (coughs) but it really took a conversion, a really humble process to get him over that hump. I can't say that. Darius is really close to that process. Isn't that true of us too? Our conversion processes are like that. Okay, let's keep on going. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace, and and, and I absolutely love this description. Darius is going to be one of the most miserable people you ever read about in Scripture. Got it? He spent the night fasting. Neither were there instruments of music brought before him. You know, in the evening, he would turn on the radio. You'd turn on the radio? Well, he didn't turn on the radio. He had some musicians, and he says, no, I don't want any entertainment tonight. Get those guys away from me. And his sleep went from him. He tossed and turned all night long. It was a long night. And he rose very early. Notice it says he didn't rise early. He rose very early in the morning. And ran, he went with haste to the lion's den. And when he came to the den, he cried in a lamentable voice unto Daniel. Why does he care about Daniel, this Jewish boy? You know what? Because he likes him. Why does he like him? Because he has integrity. He is his most loyal, his most faithful servant that he has. That's what integrity will do for you. And he went to the, came to the den, verse 20, and he cried in a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, he doesn't know. Is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lion? And he, it says he came lamenting. Deep down, there's no way. 
I did a little bit of homework on lions. They are killing machines. A full adult lion is 10 foot by 4 foot and about 500 pounds. Did you know they can jump vertically 10 feet and horizontally 35 feet? Think of football, right? In football, you've got to go 10 yards for a first down. With one spring, they can go two yards further than that. Did you know with a paw, one paw, one swipe of a paw, they can break a zebra's back? Right? They are killing machines. One of the things I think of is, is just pretend going up to a fence where there's a German shepherd on the other side, right? And kick the fence a couple times. He's growling. And just imagine it grabbing it by the collar. I'd never do that. But then imagine a lion. You know how much thicker his neck is and how powerful his jaws and his teeth are than a German shepherd? Yes? They're killing machines. And he went into a den full of these killing machines. And at the end of a night, he said, Darius, I'm here. They didn't touch me. That's a miracle. Okay? And God, this is what he says. He says, O king, live forever. <laughs> I think it's funny. Daniel's the one with a Daniel. He's telling him to live forever. My God hath sent an angel and hath shut the lion's mouth, and they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocent and found in me, and also before me. O king, I have done, have I done no hurt. Verse 23. Then was the king exceeding glad for him. And again, I ask you, what's the big deal about this slave, this eunuch named Daniel? Why did he care for him? And he was a man of integrity. Any business he gave to him, he had full confidence that it would be carried out exactly, and he would do the king no hurt. And he commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no matter of hurt was found upon him because he believed in God. So here's the deliverance. But what I'm really trying to stress is the relationship between Daniel and Darius and the integrity Daniel had and how this king that gave a decree to have him killed. You know, to me, there's, there's so many parallels in Christ don't you know that, that Pilate sentenced Christ to death, but he really didn't want to do it? He was boxed in. Darius sent Daniel to death, and he really didn't want to do it because he was boxed in. There's a lot of there. With Jesus Christ, they couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus Christ, so they had to make up stuff. With Daniel, they couldn't find anything wrong with him, and they had to make up stuff. Got it? Here's my favorite. You know this law that can never be changed? Guess what? Daniel changed it. It's pretty cool, too. Let's read 24. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which caught, accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them and their children and their wives, and the lions had mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, and ever came they... I'm sorry, and ever they came at the bottom of the den. In other words, when they threw them in, they chewed them all up, broke all their bones before they ever hit the ground. 
These lions were big, they were ferocious, they were killing machines, and they were hungry. It's like a little bitty boy looking at a cookie that he can't have. That's the da- that's the, but all of a sudden, you can have the cookie, there it is. They chowed into him. It's interesting, Darius changed that law. He changed the law. He says, he got about, no, no, and he switched it around. And we're going to hear a decree here in a couple of verses where he's going to do the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar did at the end of his life. He's going to say, there is a God, it's Jehovah God. Darius is going to go over the edge. Okay? Here's the rest of the chapter, 25 through 28. Then King Darius wrote unto all the people, the nations, the languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did in chapter 4 right? <clears throat> and he says, I got a proclamation for you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivered and rescueth, he showeth, he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in all the earth, and, and hath delivered Daniel from the power of lions. So Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, so we got this particular situation. All right, what's this for us? I want to stress something, and we talked about this a little bit last Wednesday, that Daniel... When we look at his story, it's a sad story. He was kidnapped as a teenager. He was made a eunuch, and he lived the rest of his life as a slave hundreds of miles away from home. That's a sad story, isn't it? But God used Daniel, the right man, in the right place, at the right time, with the right attitude, so that at the end of 70 years, he could be in the right position to help escort all those Jews back home. That was his life's mission. So now he's near 90 years old, and this is what God's done with this man named Daniel. And he's done them, and he's used them, and he's been part of a tool to convert Nebuchadnezzar to be converted. He's been a tool to partly convert Darius to become a tool in God's hands. Because God had a plan that at the end of 70 years, I'm going to... So all of a sudden, Darius is giving permission to go back and rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. To go back and rebuild the temple. And guess who's number one man is? Daniel. Daniel. Why? Because Daniel, even though he had all those bad things happen to him, for 70 years, how many times was he tried? How many times did people try to politically maneuver and catch him? They couldn't because he walked with integrity. My friends, that's our lives. Now, we're waiting for a return home too. But we're not waiting to return home to a city like Jerusalem we're waiting to return home to the Lord when the Lord comes back to take us home. Can't we follow through those sufferings 
in the same manner with the same integrity for those? Okay, what I want to do now is I'm going to jump now. I'm going to jump forward and I'm going to go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, I got to share something with you. That this week was an unusual week and that you know y'all know that we uh we got snowed in last uh, Sunday. So uh, Richard came up here and he recorded the he he worked the, the the electronics. And Saturday morning I came up and I pre-recorded Daniel chapter five. I hope you listen to that on the internet. I, I watch. There's plenty of clicks in Virginia, so it sounds like at least some of you did. But what happened was, <clears throat> I had all Sunday, and we were snowed in all Monday, so I had 48 of solid two days. And that's when I worked on Daniel 6. Usually I don't get Daniel's, you know, the sermon for Sunday. I don't have it done by Monday. And even if I do, I usually change my mind three or four times. You, now you're laughing because I've done that. But, 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 but I did that. So, so I had Daniel 6. I, I had 48 hours. I was stuck at home. Couldn't go anywhere. I was iced in. And, and I'm working on it. And so I started reading 1 Peter. And the whole time I'm reading 1 Peter, I'm thinking, Peter's writing about Daniel. I've never seen that before. Yet the Bible is a book, it's alive. And to have a thread that weaves through 1 Peter, and it's true of this Old Testament say, is remarkable. Now, when I read a book, I notice that there were 10 references to obedience. Okay? And as I read that, each time there was a consequence to obedience. That's why I said, this is writing about Daniel. <coughs> Let me read these obediences in 1 Peter. Okay, the... <coughs> If you want them, they're in the notes. But in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 17, <clears throat> why do I obey? And the Bible says, this is probably the least Daniel-like message of obedience of the rest of all 10 of them. But the thing is, is why should I obey? Well, the reason why I should obey is God's always watching. Now, I may or may not obey because I think my wife's not watching or church members aren't watching, but God's always watching. So Daniel's obeying, and he's obeying even when there's this defiled meat that's being provoked. He says, I can't eat that stuff. And, and well, well, who'll see me eat? I'm hungry. Who'll see me eat it? The other guys, I can eat it in a way, but they don't see me. I can do it with my three friends won't see, but God will see me. Okay, that was the first one reason why we obey, because God is always watching. But here's number two. We obey to purify our souls. When we are obeying and we're doing the will of God versus when we are in the middle of disobedience, the disobedience hinders us in our prayer with God, with our understanding when we read scripture, when we're interacting with the Lord's people, and the obedience puts us in a position that we're purified. It's, that's exactly what this whole thing was for. What happened was Judah was disobeying God. And what did he do? He got them carried away. And after 70 years, he purged the people and he brought back a faithful yoke. That's what happened when he came out of Egypt through the Red Sea. That's what happened when they went through the Jordan River. A, a group of people went through the wilderness. It was a purified people. We obey to remain pure. Number three, 
We obey because that's how we grow. Don't expect to grow in faith and understanding if you're disobeying the things that you know you should be doing. Amen? Number four, when we obey, we glorify God. That's exactly what Daniel did when he wouldn't eat the meat, when he wouldn't bow to the statue. When he kept on praying, he was glorifying God with his actions. Number five, you put to silence the ignorance of foolishness. Isn't that exactly what Daniel did in this last chapter? Those people making accusations, and the accusations they made were, were foolishness, and he silenced them. His, his integrity silenced them. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. Number six, you win them who don't obey. Daniel's behavior, his obedience, won Nebuchadnezzar and Darius. That's what obedience towards God does. Number seven, the God's eyes are over the righteous. That's another reason why we obey, because God's eyes are on us in a blessing way, in a protecting way. I obey because I want that protection. Number eight, evildoers become ashamed when you obey. Claim the name of Christians. Non-Christians are just waiting for you to mess up. And guess what? There's only one person that never messed up. That was Jesus Christ. We do mess up. But we obey because we want to shame those that are attacking the Christian religion. Okay? Number nine, resisting peers appears strange. You know, when we obey, we're going to look strange. And it's going to look strange to people. We're called the peculiar people in Scripture, right? That's exactly what happened when the prince of eunuchs went to Daniel. He says, why won't you eat this meat and wine? This is, this is, this is, is five-star restaurants. This is a Michelin award. Why don't you want to eat this meat? Because it was offered to an idol and I can't eat that stuff. This is valuable. People would give the right arm for it. Well, then give it to them. I don't want it. You're going to look strange. It's going to set you apart. And they went on with their way and they ate this bean and pea concoction that to me looks worse than baby food. And at a period, they were stronger and they were healthier than the other guys. It won them over. Verse 10. In samples to the flock, we want to be ready, we want to obey willingly because we are in samples. To the, what was Daniel? Daniel was an assemble, a, a sample or an insample, an example to those that were going to be going back home. Those are some pretty good reasons to obey God. Now, I want to warn you, a lot of times we obey God, you know, there, there's times, you know, as, as being blessed to have five children, there are times where as a father you can see your children obeying. And sometimes they obey simply because they know if they don't, they're not going to get the car keys this weekend. Okay? They, they obey because they want something. But then there's other times you can see a child and they're obeying and they're doing it simply to say, thank you for the stuff you've done for me. 
And sometimes they obey because it's a competition with his other sibling. Guilty, been there, done that, right? He just said, how do you know this stuff? Because I did it all, right? There's times I obeyed dad because of that. There's obey because I didn't want to get punished. There's because I wanted something. There's sometimes I did it because I was in competition. But Daniel obeyed, that's the integrity part of it. So when we read Daniel 6 and we read this den of lions, yes, it was a great miracle. And it was phenomenal that he could survive a night in the lion's den and not, get, not, not even get a scratch. Unbelievable. But what's more unbelievable to me is this being able to live a life of near 90 years and people look for a chink in your armor and couldn't find one. Man, that's a miracle. Okay? Maybe I can go two days with that kind of how about one day maybe I can go one day and do things for the right reason and the right motive amen so as we look at Daniel Daniel is in the perfect position to help usher Judah back home and rebuild the wall rebuild the temple set up the old time religion again and start worshiping God in this new temple. Oh, praise the Lord for that. I said, maybe he can use me. Oh, man, you know what Daniel went through to get there? I don't think I'm the guy to do it. Well, I pray I could be the guy, and I pray I can become more like the guy. But that's when I read this. So, as I titled this, there were some intentions by these politicians, their intentions was to take Daniel out, and they end up getting taken out. It's amazing when you obey God, you have your integrity, you do things for the right reason, you continue to honor him, it's amazing the miracles that'll happen in your life. And I pray it'll be ours too. God bless you. Thank you.